0: Christ is exalted over all. I love it. It's going to tie into our message. If you, in fact, the scriptures, the songs that we've been singing, you're going to hear echoes of it throughout the message today. I'm going to try to draw some connections, but hopefully you'll see that, wow, this has all come together quite nicely today. I have been thinking a lot about the book of Ephesians, prior to even coming here, and thinking that this book, this letter that Paul has written, is critical for the church today. Now, I think all Scripture is critical, and that we shouldn't bypass Scripture, and and that all of it is God-breathed, of course— But I'm sure you've had that experience where you open up the Bible, you read a passage that maybe you're familiar with, you've heard sermons about, you've read it, you've studied it in your life, and then for whatever reason, because of the circumstances of your life at that moment or the circumstances of the world, that suddenly that text comes alive in a way that you'd never seen before. You've had that experience, haven't you? And this book, Ephesians, is... is is what I'm experiencing right now, this coming alive in a way that I've never expected or anticipated. I've preached through this book many times actually, but it hasn't been since 2020 and what we've been through with the pandemic and all the turmoil in our world, and then Olivia and I moving from Idaho to across country, to New York, to Syracuse, that, that all of this has contributed to me looking at this book much differently. And realizing, oh, there's a word here for the church that is necessary right now. Because if you pay attention at all, the narrative about the church, particularly in the U.S., is not a positive one, is it? We might begin to question what is the church for? What is it about? Is the church just a relic of the past? And as the society becomes more modern, it just becomes uh, less important. I'm imagining you're here this morning or you're watching online because you believe church matters, but you know this question is lingering in your thoughts and in your minds as well because you have friends, family, where you can look next to you where somebody used to come and sit. It's no longer a part of church anymore and we begin to wrestle with this question right does church matter so about 16 months ago i really felt led to whenever i was going to preach somewhere that i would start working on a series that i've called why church and it just so happened 16 months ago as i was exploring this thinking about this feeling led to do this that I chose the book of Ephesians. And so when Olivia asked me to step in and, and be temporary pulpit supply here, and you had already chosen the book of Ephesians, I was thrilled. However, we've reached the limit of what of, of all my sermons, because I seem to get up to chapter 2, verse 11, and then I have to go somewhere new. So my Y Church series is only the first two and a half chapters. Today we get to start a new part, though. And I'm excited about it. I think the word today that Paul is giving us is an important one. I want you to think with me about what we've looked at, studied here on Sunday mornings. And hopefully you're doing this outside of churches well, either in a small group or at home listening, reading, hearing Ephesians. That you get a sense that what Paul is describing about the Christian faith, about the church is far more than superficial. That Paul is not interested at all in a superficial kind of faith or a superficial kind of church. That Paul doesn't want us to veneer our faith over the top of us as if we're just the same underneath that veneer. That veneer is just really small. All of our Christian faith kind of held into this tiny little covering. But the rest of us is essentially the same as we've always been. That's not The sense that we get when we read Paul, is it? It's not like a Christian should be putting on a badge that says Christian, walking into the church, and then taking that badge off after they walk out of church, going back to life as usual. That's not Christianity. That certainly isn't what it means to be a saint, is it? Because a saint, it seems to me, is somebody that is Christian through and through Christian that has been changed from their inside out to the very core of their being, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That once we were, but now we are, Paul says. You are saints. I'm going to keep saying that because it's easy to say. It's hard to believe it, though, isn't it? It's hard. But I think this is the identity that Paul is wanting the church to hold on to. You have been created far more, and you have been wooed into this church right now from far more than some sort of superficial faith. Amen? Something needs to change on the inside of us. A wholesale change is offered to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's important for us as we think about our identity that we ground it in these words that Paul has given us that we studied last week, you are saved by grace. Twice, in fact, he says that in chapter two. Because it's really, really critical for saints to understand that your saintliness is grounded in grace and not good works. Because saints that forget that they are saints by grace become judgmental, mean-spirited, We don't need saints like that. But saints who are grounded in grace, oh, they can do amazing things in this world, remarkable things. I want to show you something that that hasn't been drawn out yet from chapter one. And that's because, let's be honest, the first 14 verses in chapter one are unbelievable. So dense. It's an explosion of, of praise. There's so much going on there that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us even missed this verse when it was read. It was read. But chapter 1, verse 10, says this, and it's a continuation of, of verse 9, but I'm just going to read it as it is in the NIV, starting verse 10. It says this, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In this great cascade of praise that Paul begins this letter with that is almost too much for us to comprehend. We have to just sit with it. It ends with with this idea that all of this, all of it is being brought together under the headship of Jesus Christ That it's not just here on earth that this is happening, but it is in heaven and on earth, he says. These two are coming together in the person of Jesus. This work is coming together. This is Paul's shorthand reminder that the coming of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of that has radically and completely changed things. Christians, people of faith, we need to remember that. We sometimes forget how radical this is. But this is a radical change. Too often, I think, in the, in the Western church, particularly in the United States and, and a lot of Europe, we've been shaped by this idea that really what matters to the church are souls and heaven. As if all that God has positioned us here for is so that we can save souls to get them to heaven. But friends, that's not what Paul believes. It's not what the early church fathers believed. It's not what N.T. Wright, who's written our devotional guide, believes. It's not what I believe. I hope it's not what you believe. Because even though we do care about souls, they matter, yes. And even though we believe in heaven, yes. What really matters to God is the here and now. That these things are connected to the present, to right now, this time and space. It's not just about you getting to heaven. I'm not preaching this morning to try to preach you into a future reality. I, I want us all to get to heaven, of course. But friends, we're here today. We're opening up the scriptures today so that the word of God can come alive in us right here, right now. And when the word of God comes alive in us right here, right now, what's happening really? Well, in the language of Paul, heaven is uniting to earth. Because I'm pretty sure you're like me. You're grounded in earth, right? And if you're getting a taste of heaven, the word of God is coming alive. You've been moved in worship today then what is happening in this space and in your body is not totally disconnected from the throne room of heaven. Paul is telling us that in Jesus, heaven and earth are already coming together. Which makes sense because we confess Jesus to be fully God and fully human. Fully God, heaven, fully human, earth. Already in the person of Jesus Christ, these two are becoming one but it's not just about in jesus that the two have become one it's about us participating in that so look with me at chapter 2 verse 10 so first chapter 1 verse 10 paul saying look all of this is happening under the headship of jesus christ heaven and earth being united together but what does chapter 2 verse 10 say for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You, each one of you, notice he doesn't have any exemptions here. Each one of us, the ones he named saints, people of God, the holy ones, are declared to be the handiwork of God. His workmanship We're pulled into this transformative work, this this work that heaven and earth are uniting in Jesus Christ under his lordship. You and I are being pulled into that work. We've been changed by that work. We are new people because of that. Can you see it? Heaven and earth being united, coming together together. Do you remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's name is made holy in part through our actions, our lives. By following his will, which we can only follow here on earth, We're actually bringing his or helping to participate in his kingdom coming to earth. That's how significant this is. This is why I believe your life matters, why I believe the church matters. But maybe you're wondering, does it really? And I want to show you how it really does based on our text this morning. So I'm going to ask if you're uh, able to stand for the reading of Scripture. We're going to pick up at Ephesians chapter 2 starting with verse 11. I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter. These are, I think, significant words for us. The people of God that find themselves in a very contentious time. So listen carefully. Therefore, remember. Don't forget. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember, again, don't forget, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Once you weren't chosen, is what Paul's saying. You weren't a part of the family of God. But now he writes, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, Some translations say one new humanity. The early church fathers read this and they said what God is doing is creating one new race. Thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you hear echoes of the psalm that we read this morning? Mm. These are good words for us, aren't they? May they come alive in us today as we listen and reflect on God's reading of, of these words. You can be seated. In this passage, one that I think is especially applicable to our day and time Paul wants us to see what God has done for us so that we can secondly see ourselves more clearly why your life matters, why the church, I believe, matters. Look at how Paul is grounding the identity of the church in the activity and the work of God in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. There are nine active verbs in this passage that tell us what's going on in the church. So listen carefully. I'm going to name them all for you. Jesus is our peace, verse 14. He made us one, verse 14. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, you guessed it, verse 14. You might want to underline verse 14. Abolished the law, verse 15. Created one new humanity, verse 15. Made peace, verse 15. Keep underlining. He reconciled, verse 16. He put to death hostility, verse 16. And proclaimed peace, verse 17. These are all active verbs, which means that God is actively doing these. He's the one that's causing the action. This is the work of God for the people of God. The emphasis here is on God's work, not us. But Paul wants to make this abundantly clear to us, and so he's going to pull in some passive verbs where we are part of the action being done to us. We find five of these. Verse 13, we are brought near. Verse 18, the Spirit gives access. Verse 20, we, built, we are built upon the foundation. Verse 21, we are joined together. Verse 22, we are built together. Why am I giving you all these verbs? What does it matter? Well, Paul's wanting you to see something, church: that you're the result of God's work, God's activity, God's action. And when God works, amazing things happen. The passive verbs are a reminder to us that we're a part of this action. This is being done for us, but we're not the originators of it. We're just pulled into this action. So God is doing all of this for us. And what is this that God is doing? Well, friends, it's nothing short of remarkable because what God is doing in Jesus Christ is bringing peace. Now, I know we say that a lot, but do you believe it? Shalom, the peace of God, the, the well-being that is offered to us, the fullness of life, not just the absence of conflict, but the goodness of life added to that. That's the idea of shalom in Scripture. And in Jesus Christ, he is bringing peace. Now, we live in a very divided time, we have national divisions. We can't even hardly turn on the TV or listen to the radio, get on social media, and see the national divisions playing out every single day. We also have racial divisions, we have political divisions, economic, ideological, generational divisions, and they're all being played out in real time before our eyes, aren't they? Now, of course, these are ancient divisions. It's not as if these suddenly came out of nowhere. They are rearing their ugly head right now in a particular disturbing way. There's no denying that. But these are ancient. It just seems to me that it's as if they're all all on display, all at once, whereas sometimes in the past, not always, but sometimes it seemed like they were at least hidden in the shadows maybe tucked away in the corner. But man, they are out in full force right now, aren't they? All of them, all at once. And what I see very little of is people actually making apologies for it. it just seems that we're consumed by division. And then we read Scripture. And I have to ask church, We live in a society, we live in a world that is very divided right now and it's on full display. What about the church? The people of God, the holy ones, the saints that Paul's talking about, the ones that have been given new life once we were dead but now we're alive in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. What are we doing in this time of division? Now, this is where I have to be very careful because you could see where I could get myself in trouble here, right? Uh, I'm a visiting pastor that's on his second sermon with you. I might like to have a third one. (laughs) So I'm going to leave some things unsaid here. Not because it doesn't matter, but I I think there are times for pastors to trust the Holy Spirit. I don't have to say everything. I think if you wrestle with this text this week in your Bible studies, in the car on the way home today, and you ask yourselves the question, what is the call of the church in a time of division? And you think through the lens of Ephesians chapter 2, I think the Spirit's going to guide you. The people I've seen, some of the words that have been spoken in the last couple years by religious leaders suggest to me that there are enough Christians that have forgotten Ephesians chapter 2 that maybe we need to spend some time here. So, I'm going to trust you to do that this week. And I'm not going to say everything that's on my heart and mind because I'm particularly bothered by what's happening in the world right now, as I'm sure you are. Because I'm trying to remember that I'm called to be a saint. And I'm trying to remember that you're called to be a saint too. And so, we're called to be different in this world, not to mirror what's happening in the world. We're called to be like Jesus Christ. And what does Paul tell us Jesus Christ was doing with ancient divisions? The most ancient of divisions, in fact. He was breaking down that wall of hostility. Between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, God was breaking down that ancient dividing wall. And you need to understand something. Just because we have anti Semitism rearing its ugly head now. And no doubt there are some within Judaism that are skeptical or suspicious of us Gentiles, non Jews. And there might be some hatred and bigotry that's still swirling. That's not exactly what Paul's worried about right here. He's not in favor of that, of course. But what he's really getting at, this ancient wall, this ancient dividing wall of hostility really goes back to the call that is given to Abraham, that covenant that is given to him, where the Jewish people become the Jewish people and become the people of God. And in that covenant, what does God say of Abraham? You'll have many children, many as the stars in the sky, the sand on the sea, and you will be a blessing to the nations. Do we remember that part of the covenant? The Jewish people were chosen as a particular group of people to be priests to the world. That's what God chose them for, to represent him to the world. Isaiah says that they were called to be light to the Gentiles, that they were meant to be the ones who helped the world come to the one true God, Yahweh, And what do we find in the Old Testament? Failure. The story of the Old Testament is a story of keeping that chosenness to themselves. Not sharing it. We get bits and pieces, foreshadowing, a few stories here and there where that isn't true and it it reminds us of what the seeds of truth really are supposed to be. But all of that is transformed in Jesus Christ, born into a Jewish family. His religious practices are Jewish. You understand that, right? And what does Jesus do? Jesus opens the way for everyone so that all are blessed, not just a particular group, but all are blessed. All are chosen. We heard that in chapter one of Ephesians, didn't we? All are called to be the sons and daughters of God. That's our destination. That's what we're predestined for. All chosen to be blessed, children of God, part of God's family, Jesus has broken down this ancient dividing wall of hostility that separated the world into two halves. Those that are with God and those that are against God, and he blows it apart, and he doesn't do it with a single weapon. He does it with his body, with his love, with his grace. That's what our Lord and Savior does. And friends, we're, we're called to participate in this, God doesn't, doesn't just accomplish everything independent of us. He sins. He comes. He does work. He starts the plan of redemption. But guess what? It's not completed, is it? When Jesus Christ is ascended to the right hand of the Father, what happens in that moment? He empowers the church to be his representatives in the world because the work is not yet done, is it? It hasn't yet been fully realized. To go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, heaven and earth are being united together under the headship of Jesus Christ, but we see the evidence that it's not fully realized, is it? Why is that? Because God is calling us to participate in this redemptive work. God starts it, He calls us to participate so that it will come to fruition, completion. That's why we have church. That's why we are the people of God. That's why we need to have saints in this world is because guess what? The redemptive plan is still unfolding right now. Here in Henrietta, here in Rochester, all over upstate, all over New York, all over our country, all over the globe, God is needing missionary outposts like this church to bring the good news into this community because there's a lot, there are a lot of people in our community that don't yet know Jesus don't yet know this good news. They're still living behind dividing walls of hostility. And God forbid the church continue to build those walls. Amen? That is not our call. Our call is to be like Jesus who tears down the walls. So that all, all in your family, all in your neighborhood, all in the schools, all over, here, God wants to bless you. God has chosen you. God calls you son and daughter. Live into that identity. Did you hear in the passage, John 17, I had to write this down because I didn't even notice. I didn't, it didn't click with me the first service. Twice in John chapter 17, Jesus says, That we should be made one, which implies no dividing walls of hostility, that they may know me. That they, the world, may know him. You are called into this redemptive work. Your life matters then. My life matters because church matters. The community of God gathered together is what we call the church. It matters because we are God's handiwork in this world. I'm tired of the ancient story of division. Aren't you? I'm tired of it. That's a boring story. Why do I have to be enemies of people? I don't want to be caught up in that narrative. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is offering you something different. He says that you're the handiwork of God. Which in the Greek the the word handiwork that's translated there is akin to our word poem in English. So I want you to think for me with me for a few moments as we wrap up. What if we considered ourselves God's poem to the world? A masterpiece. Not because of us, but because of what God's doing in and through us. A work of art. The world's so busy scrawling and, 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 and writing this same old narrative over and over and over again. Dividing walls of hostility. Division, division, division. Hate, hate, hate. And the church is coming together around the living word of Jesus Christ. And we are being transformed into a poem. Poem. The word of God spoken to the world. So imagine with me that you are a letter. A unique letter that God has crafted. That God loves. That God has intention for. Imagine that God, the great poet, wants to unite you as one letter to the letters around you. The lives that you're connected to family, friends, church members. He wants to tie us together as, as, as letters, unique letters, so that we become beautiful words. Something I can't be on my own, but united with you, I can become something more, something bigger, right? And guess what? It's not just here in this congregation, but it's all the churches in this area that are praising Jesus Christ, calling him Lord and Savior. We're being united to them. Doesn't care what the denomination is. God, the poet, is uniting our words to other words so that it, this beautiful poem is being constructed and it's not just here, but it's all over the world. And as we sang today, it's not just now, but it's through all time that God has been doing this. This poem that God is creating with your life is part of it, is being spoken into the world to bring a different reality a new way of living. The ancient walls of hostility don't need to be what define us anymore, but we can actually be the people of God, saints, the handiwork of God in this world where our lives declare that division, dividing walls are not the thing that is going to define us anymore, but we are going to be people of peace, of love, shalom, grace, Mercy, because in our very lives, that dividing wall that separated us between us and God has been broken, and we've experienced the freedom that comes with that. So let us be that kind of people in this world. Is that a church that you want to be a part of? One person, I heard. <laughs> That's a, let's try that again. <laughs> I've been preaching really hard, people. Come on. Is that a church that you want to be a part of? I think that's the church Paul's describing. I think there's potential of that church here. In order for us to realize it, though, in order for it to be realized in us, maybe a better way to say that is we have to be obedient, don't we? Be obedient. Mm. Our praise team's going to come forward. I just hope, I don't know, maybe I've made a hash of this sermon today. I hope that what you've gotten is that I believe that what we're doing here matters. It really does matter. And I actually believe that our lives united together as a body is what the, tr- is what the world needs right now. It's skeptical of us. I get it. They don't think we're the answer. But I think we are. I think God at work through us. We are the answer to the problems of the world. God wants to redeem the world, so let's be a part of that. Let's stand and sing together.